Welcome to the Business of Being You podcast, a podcast about authenticity and the different ways people choose to be authentic. My name is Marco Benitez, also known as Coach Marco B. I'm a life and small business coach specializing in authenticity. In this podcast, you'll listen to my conversations with people who, in their own way, are being authentic. This is podcast season two, episode two, Authenticity and the Loss of a Child. Today, I'm having a conversation with Lee Griffin. Lee is a mother, entrepreneur, and beauty industry veteran who's going to share a very personal and painful story with us today, the story of the loss of her child, Brooks. She's going to share with us her journey on how she dealt with the loss and how she, along with her husband, are turning this tragedy into the opportunity to help other families who lost a child under the same circumstances. I'm very grateful to have this conversation with Lee, and I hope that you find something of value. Hi, Marco. Thank you so much for having me. Thrilled to be here. First of all, thank you so much for taking the time and and for being willing to share your story. Uh, I know a little bit about it, and I wanted to learn the full story uh, together with you and with the audience who's going to be listening to this. Um, So I think the best way to start this is just to get right into the question. Tell me about Brooks. What is Brooks's story? So Brooks is my infant son. who passed away last year of SIDS. Um, He was a ball of light that came into this world um, and all he knew was love. And um, I can go into the specifics of the story if you want. Uh, Basically one afternoon, shortly after I had gone back to work, he was three and a half months old and I actually work in Pennsylvania two days a week, but live in New York. So it was five o'clock. I was getting ready to make the drive back home to New York. And I got a call from my husband, Brian, telling me that um, something was wrong with Brooks and I needed to get home right away and that I needed to be safe. Um, I will fast forward you through a lot of the details there. Uh, Lots of phone calls between Brian and I, or actually I won't fast forward the details. I'll give you the details. Um, Brian wouldn't tell me much more than that. He was emotional and he's not usually very emotional. So I just, I just froze. And um, I, I really, I went numb and he wouldn't tell me more, but, During that car ride, I probably called him about 50 times and I drove home in complete silence and prayer. So, and crying. So, crying, praying, begging God for my son to be okay. Every time I called Brian, I said, I need you to tell me that he's okay. I need you to tell me that he's okay. And Brian said, They're working on him. I just need you to get here and I need you to be safe. So, um, what should have been a two hour drive turned into closer to a three hour drive because of traffic. And I got to the hospital and I'm going to try to tell you this without crying. So bear with me. Um, I got to the hospital. Finally, I zoomed into that parking lot. I don't even think I turned off my car, to be honest with you. Um, I ran out into the hospital and I said, I need to be with my son. I need to be with my son. And they asked me for my name and through floods of tears, I was able to give them my name. They brought me to a little room 
where Brian had to come in and tell me that our son didn't make it. So when I tell you that story now, it almost feels like I'm telling you the story as if I watched it happen to somebody else. Because when something like that happens uh, to a human being, you go out of your body, right? You just leave your body in order to survive, or at least I did. And I know Brian did. And what happened afterwards were, you know, just primal screams, um, sobbing, punching, kicking, suffocating. I mean, the things that you would imagine would happen when you're told that your infant son, who was perfectly healthy, basically went to sleep and didn't wake up. And just for the audience, SIDS is uh, basically a diagnosis of, of unknown. So they give a SIDS diagnosis when they can find nothing wrong with a perfectly healthy baby and they go to sleep and they don't wake up. And I have to tell you, I thought that I would be the last person that this would ever happen to. Um, and now a year out from my grief, I can understand that, you know, you make plans and God laughs, right? But um, he passed away from SIDS and the past year has been a process for myself, my husband and my family of finding meaning, going into some really deep spirituality and finding our way to a path of healing so that we can go forward one step at a time and still be parents to our son, Landon, who's four years old. Wow. Wow. And you, you answered one of my questions, which was, was he sick? Was there any indication that anything was, was wrong from the beginning? And you said that that wasn't the case. Uh, there was absolutely nothing wrong with him. He was a perfectly healthy child. Um, not a thing wrong with him. When I tell you he was absolutely perfect from the moment he was born, we actually called him our angel baby because he was so wonderful, so happy, rarely ever cried unless he needed to eat. Um, and he was just the best way that I can describe him was just this ball of golden light and love. And that's all he knew. And that's all that he was. Uh, but you know, with Sid, that's really the thing there's really never anything wrong. These babies that this happens to, by the way, this happens to over 3000 babies a year, which doesn't seem like a lot, but when you think about the circumstance that you as a parent, for any parents out there, you could put your child down for a nap and then they do not wake up. For that to happen to 3000 babies a year is 3000 too many. Um, they know as much about SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome is what SIDS is. They know as much about it today as they did back in the 1960s. So there's been absolutely no progress made in understanding what happens to these babies and what causes this to happen, which is incredibly frustrating on the part of the parents. You have to basically be the detective, um, which is what we're doing now. So as if the loss isn't absolutely life shattering as is you then have to proceed without really knowing or understanding how your child died. Right. So it really is just a double 
I describe it as being run over by several tractor trailers at once. That's really, you know, what it's like. Wow. Yeah. You know, I'm a father as well. I have two kids. Uh, I remember when my son, my firstborn, was born. We were at the hospital, and part of the mandatory uh, requirements for you to leave the hospital with the baby is they make you watch this video uh, regarding SIDS. My background, as you know, my background is in, in medicine, and even watching the video from with my perspective, knowing what I had learned at that up until that point in, in, in my medical training, the advice always seemed very, very fickle, you know? It, it just the advice seemed to show what you were just saying that 60 years back we know the same as we know now. Because in the video, they tried to make it nice with a, a little cartoon sheep or a little, little cartoon caricature sheep giving these uh, uh, advice that turn on the side, turn on the back. And it just seemed kind of odd to me, like this is the best advice we can give new parents, because at that point, all medical training goes out the window. It's just straight parent mode. You know, and, and I was new to this. It just seemed like such odd advice to me. Position the baby this way and that way. And this is the best defense against SIDS. And when we spoke initially, you had told me that going back 60 years, we have just about the same knowledge of it now as we did back then. And it started to make sense where we're just giving some advice where some evidence exists, but we don't have any concrete knowledge as to what leads to this. Yes. And, you know, I will try to be careful with my words here, uh, but, you know, medicine has really failed us in in terms of SIDS and in terms of the advice that they give parents. And I'll touch on what happens to parents more in just a second. But I also want to point out for the audience um, a controversial topic, but this is reality. This is authenticity. So we're going to go here. Um, you know, a lot of times SIDS is attributed to a number of different reasons. And I had my beliefs that SIDS was very much caused and attributed to uh, vaccines. And I'll be honest with you, I haven't ruled that out yet, but a lot of people will go there, right? That's where they go. They say, well, did your baby just have a well visit? And uh, first of all, don't ever say that to, to a grieving parent. It's, it's not what they want to hear or be asked. But I will share just because it's been asked of me. So for anybody in the audience that is wondering, uh, I have my thoughts on vaccines. I'm not a proponent of them for reasons that I have. My husband viewed the situation differently. So what we did is agreed to do um, a spaced out schedule on the vaccines and Brooks didn't have any at birth whatsoever. And he did have one shot, the DTAP, three weeks before he passed. So um, we don't know. There is no... Uh, unbiased studies that have been done to rule out that vaccines could be a contributing factor to SIDS. Um, it's, the evidence is just not there for better or for worse. Uh, another thing that a lot of parents will ask is, well, did you co-sleep? Because that's, an that's another thing that people will look to instantly blame, right? Because they never want to hear, well, th because they'll say a healthy baby doesn't just die. And 
Unfortunately, they do. And um, what we need to do and what I hope to do in my lifetime is figure out why they just died. But to answer the previous question, we didn't co-sleep. He slept in a crib. Um, He, you know, so all of the things that they'll traditionally tell you about sleeping on the back, about having a safe sleep environment. All of the parents that I've spoken to who's lost children from SIDS, they did all of those things. So for me, those little videos that they make parents watch are really kind of a cop out because, you know, again, there's no hard concrete data or reasons that they have that this happens to, to children, no different than they would tell you, you know, back in 1960. So we ha- there's a lot of work that needs to be done in terms of understanding this, what happens. And then if I could, I do want to touch on one other thing, because I think it's really upsetting and frustrating as a, as a SIDS parent. Um, now, the system, meaning the justice system, treats parents that this happens to as criminals. So instead of being compassionate first, Parents are looked at as if it's their fault and where can they be blamed? And I was um, not present, so I didn't experience this firsthand. But what they do is basically treat you like a criminal. You're questioned, you're taken into custody. They they treat the area like a crime scene, um, which is all things that, again, I really hope that I can be a voice of change an action in my lifetime, because in what other time does that happen? Like, imagine you're sitting at home and I'll give you a hypothetical and God forbid, you know, your grandmother dies next to you or in the room next to you. Are you treated like a criminal? Are you treated like you killed her? So when that happens to your baby, it's just awful that our system looks to blame parents first instead of being compassionate first and looking for any. Um, wrongdoing later on. So I just, I, whenever I speak about this, I always feel that it's really important to bring this up because the, the people that I've gotten to know in the SIDS community, this is one of the things that we talk about all the time, how, my gosh, not only are you suffering through this horrific, horrific experience, right? right. Then you have to deal with that on top of it. So I hope that we can see that change in my lifetime. Right. Right. And, you know, again, I'm not taking sides, but I can see how the police would need to ask questions. But I definitely see that the order of operations needs to be reversed. Maybe lead with the compassion and after things, the initial shock, then conduct something of a questioning. I think that maybe that might be reasonable. But to lead with that, I agree with you. It's it's. You know, I struggle for words, heart wrenching, you know, but I mean, it's, I think, I I would describe it as inhumane. Really, it feels inhumane. You know, it really does. It feels like there's no human element in the order of those events. So again, there's so much work that needs to be done in terms of SIDS. And that's just one of the many things that needs to be changed. Earlier, you mentioned that some people would ask you, oh, did the baby have a well visit? And you said that that's not something that a person who's dealing with a, a, a SIDS uh, situation wants to hear. What would you say is the best words or the best approach to someone, a family member, a parent who's dealing with SIDS? 
Marco, that's such a great question. Um, because for me, you know, I think, let me give some context before I answer you. I think, uh, one of the things about our American society, right. Um, is that we aren't necessarily super authentic as a whole and as a collective. And we really don't know how to deal with grief. We really don't know how to empathize because our initial reaction, and listen, I've been there myself, so I'm not throwing stones, is, oh my gosh, it's like touching a hot iron. It's like, oh my gosh, that pain is so searing. I don't even want to think about that happening to me. So I'm going to offer you know, I'm sorry, or, uh, you know, my condolences, because that's what we do, right? That's what society has told us to do. They will say, those aren't the words that I I recommend. I think um, always say something instead of nothing. And again, I've been guilty at times in my life of saying, well, I don't know what to say. So I'm not going to say anything. And I will never make that mistake again because it's so much more hurtful for loved ones, close friends, family to say, to say nothing than to say something and maybe have it be the wrong words. So a couple of the words that I found really comforting were, um, I hate that this has happened for to you. I am here for you. I'm not going anywhere. You're not alone. You're not going through this alone. I'm here to hold your hand. Um, just words of reassurance and not just, I'm sorry, because I'm sorry can almost make you feel more lonely than you already feel. So, um, offering compassion, offering empathy, offering assistance, and just really being there and being present for someone who's experiencing such a deep loss can be so, so, so helpful for them. Right. Right. Yeah. I think that moments like that, it makes everyone uncomfortable. Um, I've been around a lot of situations where I've had to give some bad news and I don't know what to say. You know, I'm still uncomfortable at wakes, you know, and someone asking one time, but you've been in the medical field for so many, I'm like, I know it's just, I, I don't, I, I don't know what to say. When I was thinking about what you were saying, what came to mind, what I would have said, oh, the words I think maybe would make sense would just be, you know, I don't know what to say, but I'm here in any way that you need me to be. There you go. That's perfect. Yeah. Sometimes less is more. I had a conversation recently. One of our previous episodes was with a conversation coach, uh, the communication coach. And his first advice with having authentic conversations with people, he says, just keep it simple and be okay with silence. And that was a big one. Be okay with silence. And it it seems uh, that that may also be okay in this situation, maybe just sitting with the person and it's okay to not say anything. But I think the energy and the presence serves to communicate the intention. Right. Absolutely. I would agree with that. Um, And just to kind of reframe what I had said before, by saying nothing, what I mean is if you see a person after they've experienced a loss like this, like let's say a month later, right? It's so much better to say like what you said, which is, I don't know what to say, but I'm here. I'm here. I love you. You're not alone. Then to just pretend like nothing has happened to them. Because when someone loses a child, their whole entire world changes. Their whole entire identity is different. And so to pretend like it never happened is definitely hurtful. 
and definitely can serve as a problem for that relationship going forward. Right. I've been there. It's happened. So I'm speaking from experience. Right. How did you begin to process the loss? Uh, so that's a, that's another great question. Um, I, you know, first is shock. First is just utter shock and devastation. And you sit with that for a little while and you marinate on it and you can stay there. It's really easy. I think to stay there and have the grief pull you down and keep you down and possibly keep you down forever. My husband and I were really fortunate to have family around us and immediately get into therapy. So grief counseling, marriage counseling, personal counseling, because another thing, a statistic, is that when you lose a child, 80% of marriages end up in divorce because you're dealing with such tragedy such life-altering, identity-shifting tragedy that you become different people. And oftentimes spouses can take their anger and their grief out on one another. And one of the things that was really important for Brian and I to identify early on, and it was not easy at all, is that we wanted to keep our family together because our son Landon had already lost so much. So to answer your question, it was really having a support system around me at, with my family, with friends, with work, being very patient uh, to allow us to slowly grab on to these older parts of our identities while we had to rebuild the new ones. And having that support system, ultimately, when I look back, is what gave us the strength to put one foot in front of the other, because that's really all that you can do. One foot in front of the other, one minute at a time, one day at a time. Right. And that's how we've survived and gotten to, you know, where we are now, which is about a year out from the loss of our son. Right. When, when was the date that he passed? May 20th. May 20th. Wow. On the topic of authenticity and, and dealing with a loss, have you found that there's different versions of your authentic self or that going through something like this reveals a new facet of one authentic self that you've always been? So I would say the answer to that question is, is both. It's twofold. Because I've always really considered myself a very authentic person, Marco. It's one of the things that I've prided myself on, for better or for worse. Uh, anybody who knows me <laughs> knows that I'm a Taurus. And I am authentic, sometimes to a fault. But I will tell you that the loss of my son broke me open. And I think my husband would probably say the same for himself broke both of us open in a way that was just shattering to the point that you ha we both had to dig really deep and we had to find a new level of authenticity and honesty with ourselves and with each other so that we could start the process of healing. And I think that comes with with wanting to do that, because I'll tell you, it's not easy. You know, it's really not easy to be in 
this therapy and be confronted with these questions and these challenges of having to really dig deep in order to stay on the healing process. But I think when you do make those choices, there's no, you don't really, ultimately you don't really have a choice, right? Unless you want to stay in bed forever and let that grief drown you, you have to lean into this new version of yourself and this new authenticity so that you can create a new life and create new friendships and new relationships because you're a different person ultimately, right? You are a different version of yourself. So I would say the answer to that question is, is multifaceted. Right. And your son, Landon, he's, he's a little older than uh, Brooks. He is. So he turned four in January. Um, and he was three and a half when all of this happened. And talking about him is where I'm going to get very emotional because, you know, as a parent, I'm sure you can empathize here. You know, when your child is hurting, it's like your own pain is nothing. You know, it's like however bad your own pain is, you can just kick it to the curb because when you see your child hurting, it just um, takes pain, the definition of pain to a whole new level. So he was three and a half uh, when his brother passed. And it's been, it's been really hard for him, you know, because at three and a half, you don't really understand the concept and the permanence of death. So he, he will ask us questions like, where is heaven? Can I take a plane there? Why isn't Brooks coming back? And, uh, you know, again, we've been really fortunate to have wonderful therapists that we've met and that the universe has brought us together with for ourselves and for our son to, again, just assist in that healing process. But his grief has been a really tough pill for me to swallow because as a parent, all you want to do is fix it for your children. You want to make it better. You want to make it okay. And, you know, when you can't and your young child is confronted with this serious subject that you can't even understand, let alone help them really to understand, it's, it's really very challenging, you know? But I will say that we have chosen to lean in to creating these new authentic versions of ourselves, We've chosen to lean in deeply to spiritual healing. We've chosen to lean in deeply to a greater meaning here in life and our soul's purpose and what we're here to do. And that has brought us so much peace in a way that uh, we didn't think that we would ever really be able to find again, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So how did how are you navigating or how did you navigate being a mother to Landon, a wife to your husband, and also connecting with yourself? Because it sounds like the way I describe it is psychological noise. There's just so much psychological noise going on, but each one of those different roles requires a different amount of attention and a different type of attention. How did you navigate? getting back into that? You know, one step at a time is really how I did it. And I was really blessed, like I said, to have a support system around me that offered me some really great advice of you have to be gentle on yourself. You know, I'm the type of person that is used to going zero to a hundred and there's no in between. And with this, 
you know, it was literally one step at a time, Marco. It was lots of communication, lots of deep communication and understanding between Brian and I that we did not have before of understanding how a man grieves very differently than a woman and how if you don't have that communication and that understanding, ultimately it's going to tear your relationship down. So, um, you know, Brian has been incredible and supportive and, you know, Landon, my son brings me such joy, you know, uh, having, I credit, he, I call him my savior because without him, I wouldn't have had that reason, that force that I needed to get out of bed every day, you know? So, um, took me a really long time, but finding the gratitude in the moments that you can leaning in, like I said, to that spiritual understanding of life and taking things really slowly and really gently. And I will say as well, because this is one of the things that's a reoccurring topic in some of the books that I've read about grief that I've found to be really helpful. Ultimately, it was a choice. Ultimately, I wanted to make the choice, as did my husband, to continue on and be uh, a, a parent for our son. Because I'll tell you, you know, there's two choices when something like this happens to you. You can either be weighed down by this human grief and this sadness. And it's really easy to do that, like I said, but you're faced with a choice ultimately. And I think uh, we both made the choice that we wanted to keep going and that our son's life, our son Brooks's life was not in vain and that he had a legacy that we needed to carry out. And all of those things coupled together are what has brought me here today to be able to speak to you and be able to carry out his legacy and live his life of love. You know, you mentioned a few times leaning into spirituality and it seems like it may bring up some difficult, it sounds like it may be difficult to reconcile a loving God with such horrible situations. Have you found that the spirituality was tumultuous in the beginning? Was it always an understanding that there's a, a bigger master plan in play? Or is it something that you're still trying to understand? So 100%, absolutely, it has been a challenge to get here. And I do want to just clarify. So when I say spirituality, I don't ultimately just mean religion. I was raised as a uh, Christian, Catholic, went to Catholic school. Um, but as I have evolved as a human, I've, I've tailored my beliefs to what suits me and where I am in life right now. Um, so I think one of the challenges that you'll immediately face and that I faced in the days right after this happened is that how could this happen? How could God let this happen to me? But, you know, with the year's hindsight and many teachings from different spiritual teachers, not just religious, mm -hmm. I'm talking mediums, I'm talking spiritual healers, I'm talking intuitives. It's allowed me to see life from the bird's eye view, which is that we are all here and divinely connected to one another. And I believe deep in my heart that 
everything does in fact happen for a reason. And if we can find that reason and that love and that meaning and that connection, it really, really helps to facilitate that healing process. So, so what I mean really is that, you know, whatever God you choose to believe in, we are all connected. We are all here on this earth to love each other and to teach one another. And I could say from my own life experience, and I'm not sure if you can for yours, but you know, we never meet a person by accident. A person is never placed into our life by accident. And I've just found this to be so, so true in my life. And so I feel deep in my heart with every fiber of my being that my son Brooks was here to be a teacher and he was here to be a healer for many different people, myself, my husband, my family. And, um, he's doing that. And just because he's not, his physical body is not here on earth does not mean the love that we share does not exist. And so that's really how I'm able to go on. That's really how I'm able to carry him with me. And that's not to say that I don't have my moments or my days where I am just dragged down by that human sadness and that human grief. But I always go back to, I'm not in control. I am not God. I am not the one who is orchestrating these things. And what I need to do is lean into love and carry out, like I said, this legacy that he came to earth to, to achieve. And to some people, they, they, you might be saying, she's crazy. And that's fine. I get it, you know. Um, but that this is one of these profound changes that this loss has had within me. I just have this deep knowing that there's so much more to this life than what we see every day and the hamster wheel that we all run around on. It's so much bigger and greater than that. Right, right. You mentioned uh, Brooks was a teacher. What's the lessons that he's teaching? So he will be teaching lessons until I think myself and my husband are, are gone off of this earth and we've joined him again. But he has taught, I'll give you just, he, he teaches me things every single day, but I'll just give you a couple of the things that he's come here to teach. First of all, he's come here to teach love. And I think when people hear that, they don't really think about that deeply. They think about it in a sense of love. Okay. It's, it's a, it's a, fleeting emotion, right? But no, it's a choice and it's a way of being in life and in the world. Because when I think of my son, Brooks, all he knew was love. All he knew was happiness. All he knew was joy. And that's what he shared with every single person that met him and got to be in his presence. So he has taught us, number one, to give love in every opportunity that you can in life. Number two is that your time here is not unlimited. Your time here on earth is short and you never know when it's going to be your last day. And I think that that is a reality that so many of us don't put together in our day-to-day -day life. We under, we hear it, yeah. but do we really absorb it? Do we really understand that tomorrow is not promised? So the small things that we stress about today 
are not worth it? Are you spending time with your family? Are you doing things that are making you happy, that are making you feel alive? These are the things that matter. And I think if you speak to anybody that experience, has experienced deep loss, they will probably tell you the same things, right? It, tomorrow is not promised. Time is such a precious commodity and we never know when we're going to run out of it. And, you know, the third thing that I would say Brooks teaches me every single day is to find the beauty in everything because that's what he was. He was a beautiful, pure soul. As he was being born, I felt uh, a white light move through me, move through my body. Mm-hmm. And he, he was just different. Like, <laughs> I know I'm his mom. Of course, I'm going to say that, but he was different. So find the beauty in the time that we have here on this earth and enjoy it. And don't take anything or anyone for granted, because it could be the last time you speak to them. It could be the last time you hug them. It could be the last um, day that you get to spend with them. And so never, ever, ever take it for granted. So. What are three suggestions that you have for families, for parents that are dealing with SIDS right now? Number one is be really gentle with yourself. Give yourself that time that you need. And I would say it's about two months to sob, to stay in bed if you need to, to not get off the couch and feel your feelings because you need to feel it to heal it. It's really easy to suppress these things because they are devastating. You know, they are tsunamis of devastation that unfortunately you need to feel. So I would say, give yourself time, number one, and feel everything that you need to feel. And then number two, I would say, find a really good support system And find a therapist that can help you because we are just not equipped, again, in our American society to be able to deal with grief. And that's other people's grief and our own grief. So I found it really beneficial to find a professional that could help me to understand how I was feeling, how my feelings were going to affect my relationships. Uh, things that I could do to help with those feelings, manage them and, and feel them. Like I said, because you need to feel it in order to get onto that path of healing. And then the third thing I would say is really um, make that choice every day that you want to move forward because the person that you have lost that's on the other side wants you to do that. They don't want you to stay here on earth in a state of suffering forever. So find a picture of them, find several pictures of them, put them around you in your bedroom, wherever it might be. And whenever you look at them, make that commitment to yourself and to them that you're going to do everything in your power to keep going and live the fullest life that you can. And if that means carrying out their legacy. And if that means making sure people speak their name forever and don't forget it, that's wonderful. But make that commitment to yourself 
that you're going to keep going. And lastly, I would say one of, this is four, but I have to add it in. The fourth thing is find a medium, a good medium, because it will completely shift your perspective. And it will, again, just be so profound if you find a really good one, like Brian and I were so fortunate to do. It's incredible. And some people really do have amazing gifts to be able to connect over to the other side. And Brian will even say that the medium has been the profound, Brian's my husband, has been the most profound part of his healing process. So those are four things. Sorry. I know I was going to keep it three. That's okay. Everybody likes bonuses. (laughs) (laughs) How have you chosen to keep Brooks' memory alive? So we've actually started a, um, an organization called Brooks's mission because we do feel that he came to earth with a mission. Um, and we want to carry that out. So we've started this organization called Brooks's mission. And what we really want to do is help families that are in that situation that we just spoke of. So losing a child to SIDS, losing a child in late term pregnancy, you know, the reality is you are faced with this unspeakable, unimaginable tragedy. And then you have the bills coming in, likely from your child's birth or the bills coming in for your child's funeral. And no parent should ever have those things coming in at once. Yeah. You told me that that was, that was unbelievable. Never crossed my mind because it's so close to the time frame, and these bills come out later that that's, that's horrible. It's so painful. I personally, when you told me that it it really had me thinking there should be some law that helps families in these situations where if they deem that the passing of the infant is from SIDS, there should be some kind of law or grant to provide them financial relief from those bills. Uh, I 100% agree with you. But if we start talking about the government and their inefficiencies, we'd be here until 2070. Uh, But, you know, um, the reality is you're absolutely right. There should be, but there's not. And so while you're dealing with all those things, a lot of times families also deal with job loss because you're trying to heal from this horrific experience. Mm. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, some days you can't even get out of bed and take a shower. So let alone go back to work. You're just, you're not able to, you need an extended period of time to grieve. And Brian and I were both really fortunate to have employers that stood by us um, I work at Doll 10 Beauty and Brian works at um, Takeda and they were both just incredible. So I feel the need, need to shout them out by name because when businesses do the right thing by their people, I think that that's a rare thing, you know, in today's crazy world that we live in. And they really gave us the time that we needed to grieve and to mourn and to keep a paycheck coming in and to have a job to go back to. So what we want to do with Brooks's mission is um, not so much in the way of funding SIDS research, because that's been going on for years through tax dollars, and there's little to no progress that has has been made, which is really very frustrating on a number of levels, not for this podcast. But um, what we want to do is help families. So with therapy bills, with funeral costs, with, you know, maybe it's just the groceries for a month. Maybe it's the mortgage for a month. 
These are things that will give families a fighting chance to stay intact, to stay together, and ultimately, hopefully get them on that path towards healing. So that's what we're looking to do with Brooks's mission. And we've actually just partnered with another organization called Emma's Footprints that has the same goals and alignments that we do. And we'll be working with them closely. And they have an incredible infrastructure to just help families that are dealing with this horrendous, tragic, life-altering, shattering loss. Right, right. If someone wants to turn their grief their loss into something positive the way you and your husband, Brian, have done with Brooks's mission. And that's their way of being authentic. What advice would you have for them to get started, to, uh, to get into action? I'm so happy you asked this question. And again, I do feel like I need to give a little bit of context before I answer you. So it goes back to how men and women grieve really differently. And I think I told you when we spoke on the phone that this Brooks's mission has really been largely my husband's doing up until recently, because as a woman, I grieved by going inward, by, by crying, by, you know, um, holding on to Brooks's blankets and needing to really just be deeply in my feelings and my emotions men biologically are not wired that way. And so, um, again, if you take nothing away from this, take away that men and women grieve differently. And if you lose a child, you need to understand that if you want to save your relationship. So this was one of the things this creating this organization was one of the things that Brian wanted to do as part of his grieving process. He wanted to throw himself into this as his way of honoring Brooks's life and his legacy. And he's done such an incredible job with it. And I'm now finally just in a place where I can contribute and I can be there and I can support him and help with our events and our planning and things like that. I will say to answer your question, give yourself time and wait until you're really ready. You know, for me, it was a different place than when Brian was ready. And wait until you're really ready. And then even still be gentle with yourself because I still have moments as we do things like this that just take me back. And I have to sit down and I have to cry. And that's okay, you know, because that's a part of who I am now. That's a part of my life and my identity. So I would say to answer your question, give yourself time, do as little or as much as you can at a time. And really never give up because there's a lot of hurdles in doing something like this and getting it started. And you have to be persistent and it's hard to be persistent when you're grieving. So, no, I'm really proud of, of where we've come. I'm really proud of Brian that he's been able to get so much of this done and get it rolling. And he actually just did a, um, a four by four by 48 where he ran 48 miles in 48 hours to raise awareness for SIDS and to raise money for the organization. And, uh, he did it. <laughs> wow. I certainly could have, could not have, but, uh, he did. And we're really proud of him. And Landon was so, so proud to see his daddy doing this and keeping his brother's memory alive. Right. How can people follow you in the work that you're doing? 
How can they follow Brooks's mission? How can they donate to Brooks's mission? Oh, thank you, Marco. So you can find me on Instagram. Uh, fittingly enough, my handle is authentically. So authentic, L-E-I-G-H with an underscore at the end. Brooks's mission. We have a website, so it's brooksmission.com. And then we also have an Instagram for that, which is at brooksmission. And if you are so inclined to donate, which we are so, so grateful for, you can donate through the link that's in that uh, on the site. And I do also want to just say, if there's anybody that's watching this that knows somebody going through a loss or is going through a loss, I am here. I am here to help. I am here to lend an ear and to lend my support because I had women uh, who really got in my corner, who have been through this before and really were there as support figures for me. And it brings me a lot of joy to be able to pay that forward and be there for somebody else. So I'm always here for anybody that needs it. Lee, thank you so much for being with me. Uh, thank you for sharing your story. Uh, you're an amazing mother. You're an amazing woman. And I known Brian for several years now. He's an amazing man. And I have high hopes for what Brooks's mission is gonna do. And I look forward to seeing it grow. Uh, thank you again for being part of the podcast and I'll see you soon. Thank you so much for having me, Marco. Really appreciate it. And I'll definitely talk to you soon. And that's the episode. I want to once again, thank Lee Griffin for being so gracious to accept my invite to share her story on this podcast. I hope it's provided some value for those who may be suffering through the same tragedy. And for those who are not suffering, but know someone who is, I hope this serves to inspire you to be of support to those who may need you in their darkest times. As with this podcast and all the other ones, you can find them on coachmarcob.com. And if on your journey, you feel that you need support in identifying, clarifying, and sharing your authenticity in your personal life or in your business, please feel free to reach out to me through coachmarcob.com. And that's be like boy. Thank you once again, and I'll see you in the next episode.